Hey everyone, welcome to Unrefined Women. I am your co-host Agnes and unfortunately Margaret isn't here for the intro. She is, thank God, here for the episode but she's busy doing Margaret things today. So um, for this week's episode we have our wonderful and beautiful and newest sister-in-law Nissa Rood. Nissa Rood is an aquatic biologist with over 10 years of experience in her field. She is a passionate outdoorsman and advocate for environmental preservation and protection. In her spare time, Nissa loves to explore Oregon's wildlife with her husband, Andrew Cioni, and their two rescue dogs. Her hobbies include amateur mycology, which is mushroom identification, foraging, and making mushroom spore prints as art, knitting, studying Norwegian, and soap making. Now, personally, for this episode, it was absolutely life-changing. We talk a lot about global warming, endangered species, and just all of that good shit that I feel like gets really, really lost in translation nowadays. I What I really love about this conversation mostly, though, is that Nissa really brings a lot of this down to how politics has have completely disregarded how shitty we're treating the earth and really the ecosystem of everything and how we as humans just we truly rely on all of these animals especially the endangered species and how you know once one endangered species goes extinct it creates a you know a domino effect and it affects all kinds of other animals as well as us so yeah just this entire conversation was really really life-changing and I hope that you guys are able to listen we talk about tons of other good shit we have good laughs Um, there was a point where our brother Andrew was in the background he didn't even realize we were recording so ignore us giggling and having a good time it's just family honestly I love having family on the podcast so Hopefully you guys enjoyed today's episode and learn a lot because Nissa is just so fucking smart and I'm so grateful to have her as a new sister. Hello everyone. <laughs> Today we have our wonderful, beautiful sister-in-law, Nissa Rude. Nissa, who are you? Hi. I am a human. Um, <laughs> I oh my god! I am a woman who is passionate about the environment and about creating things. And I, by trade, I am a biologist. So I do a lot of stuff with the environment. And currently, I am a endangered species act. consultation biologist. I'm actually a contracted biologist for the National Marine Fisheries Service. And I basically evaluate projects in the Puget Sound region. But that's, that's my job. Outside my job, I'm all kinds of things. So let's talk about um, your job and becoming a biologist. How did that go about? Let's start from when you decided you wanted to do that. um when I was a little kid and you guys will know about this because you stayed there um my family had and still has a cabin on a lake in Minnesota and when I was a kid I'd go out to the cabin and 
that was like my favorite thing in the whole world go out to the cabin and go snorkeling go swimming because when I was younger my eyes started getting bad my eyesight I've, I've got quite awful eyes I wear contacts and at the time I didn't even have glasses and I found out that if, if I went under the water something with the refla- refraction the reflect whatever you know what's going on the refraction of the water was making it so I could see again I could see better under the water and I found this amazing world underneath the water that was all around me and I could be a part of it so I just sort of became fascinated by the water and fish I spent all the time out of the cabin in the water diving for looking for fish looking for clams collecting clams getting minnows and nets and so that's sort of how I got started internally that love of biology and um, it never went away it sort of morphed over time in what I wanted to do but uh, I went to school for fisheries and wildlife I got my master's degree uh, working on bugs uh, that live in the water aquatic insects and yeah I'm currently I work with endangered species that live in the ocean so that's a shift for me recently I've been doing more marine species but it's still kind of the same idea right that like you don't know what's under the water until you get down there and then you see it and your mind is blown that's so special how you were saying you could see better when you were underwater and it's almost like it was meant for you <laughs> because, you know, it was like that fix, you know, that you needed and you realize it at such a young age. And um, it's really mind blowing to, you know, at such a young age, you found something that you were passionate about and you were able to like truly integrate that into your career now because that does not happen a lot. Yeah, that is so true. I knew I wanted I knew I wanted to work with something with biology something within mm-hmm. the environment when I was quite young when I was um, really before I went to community college that sort of time in my mm-hmm. life I didn't I wasn't sure but um, I first wanted to be a at the time I didn't know this term but a herpetologist which is a amphibian and reptile biologist however I just loved crocodiles and alligators. I was like, those guys are so cool. I want to be like Crocodile Dundee. I want to be like Steve Irwin. I want to go out and find these crazy snakes and frogs and alligators and look at them and poke them and stuff like that. I love that. I, I think that. too it's so cool like hearing you talk about like your childhood and how fascinated you were with nature and insects and bugs because you're married to our brother Drew and he was the exact same way when he was a kid. <laughs> Agnes, you won't know because, you know, you're like no, I remember. He was just like that up until he was like 19 years old on the weekends going to like heavy metal concerts <laughs> and then during the week he's out fishing. <laughs> But I remember, like, when Drew and I were little, because, like, I'm the first child in the family. Drew's the second child. We're, like, the OG Chioni kids. And when we were, like, little, like, I'm, okay, so (laughs) Drew, he was, like, such a nerd. Like, he had, like, his glasses and everything. And we would go, back in the day, to Borders Books and Music, uh, back when that was in business. And Drew would go to the animal section and buy these huge, big, thick, like, animal encyclopedias. And he was, like, you know, 
seven years old and he'd go home and he'd read these entire things cover to cover he just take in all of this knowledge and he was constantly reading these huge like bug books and animal books and like you know marine biology and everything he loved it so so you two are like soulmates (laughs) (laughs) that's really funny because um he was just telling me recently about his book obsession when he was a kid it was in the context of your house with all the kids in it and how um with having so many siblings your toys would get ruined so unless you sort of guarded them they were um part of the commonwealth (laughs) as it were and so you had to guard your toys and see he was telling me that he would take those books his his special animal books and hide him hide them in his bed so he'd be sleeping in his bed on the top bunk and then next to him stacked up in these big piles all over the place is is books it's just books and books and uh, apparently your mom found them one time and confiscated them so he wasn't sleeping with books in his bed (laughs) and i have to confirm that that was a common thing for all of us kids all of our like special prize possessions we would sleep with them like it's like sleeping on a rock (laughs) absolutely you don't want somebody to like get it and chew on it right (laughs) so let's talk about um what you do now and first of all I have to ask um now you're working more in marine biology what are some of the endangered species I'm sure I I was just gonna ask that too I'm so curious (laughs) yeah um the most important ones that I work with are the southern resident killer whale so orcas Mm -hmm. They are in Puget Sound, and they that's in that's that big. It's actually the largest estuary in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's that big water body in the in, on the side of Washington. And those orcas live in the Puget Sound, and they also go out and travel around a little bit in the ocean outside of it. But they're super endangered. There's something like seventy left, and. Uh, there are three pods, I believe, and those pods are all we have. And what that means is that if we lose one single orca, which we usually do like once a year, then that's a huge portion of the population that mm-hmm. has been wiped out. And plus, these animals are just beautiful. They're charismatic. They live for like 100 years or something. They live as long as humans live. And they have really close social interactions with each other. So that's like a big, big species that I do a lot of evaluation on. But it all relates back to salmon. On my, in my world, the orcas eat, well, this is not even my world. In the real world, <laughs> orcas eat salmon. And the salmon are endangered as well. So we have endangered Chinook salmon, Hood Canal salmon they're called hood canal summer run chum and we have steelhead which are a salmonid and bull trout which are a salmonid those are all endangered species and the orcas the southern resident killer whales they primarily eat schnook so when we're talking about the the species it's like brings together the idea that everything's connected we're all connected to each other and 
if I eat you and you die, then I can't eat you anymore. Like in the case of whales and salmon. <laughs> and um, those, those are basically what we work with. But like overall, we have so many listed species and I only work with the marine, the ones that live in the water, essentially. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service covers the ones that are on the land. And I will say a little plug because yesterday in the news, uh, U.S. District Court in San, I think San Francisco, they ruled in favor of the plaintiff in a case where some people sued the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and they got the gray wolf back on the endangered species list. So it's it's amazing. The, the wolf is back on the endangered species list and I am ecstatic. They took it off a couple of years ago and people just went crazy shooting them. It was, it was hunting all over the place and gray wolves are kind of like orcas. They live in these small small mm -hmm. family units and they learn from each other. They learn how to hunt and they rely on each other. And it was just full scale slaughter in the United States on the gray oh my wolf. God. So it was an, an amazing win. We needed the, we needed that in order to protect the gray wolf. And it was just really upsetting to me that it took, um, it took suing the federal government to get them back on the endangered species list. Wow. So do you feel like um, throughout your studies, what are the uh, causes of the endangerment of the orcas and the salmon or just um, pretty much all of these endangered species? Like what have you guys found a root cause of this or is it just a bunch of other things? Absolutely. We know damn well what it is <laughs> it's us right yeah it's us we're causing it and i mean that in the most um visceral way our lifestyle the way that we exist on this planet has caused a new mass extinction of animals mm. and we are indebted i would say to the earth to try to protect them but the main causes are development. It is the expansion of suburbia. It's the expansion of the human population and the destruction of habitat. So every time a forest is paved over to create a new anything, you know, the stereotypical example is a mall, right? But it yeah. doesn't have to be a mall. It can be new housing. It can be... It could be anything, right? It could be the conversion of land from a floodplain, which is just this big place where a river would run and would flood in the spring. It can be the conversion of that into farmland. And mm -hmm. that farmland is different. It's not the original habitat. And so it's changing things. And we have changed things as humanity so quickly in the past mm, 150 years or so the world is a totally different place. It is, it's terrifying, really. Yeah. So now that we've kind of covered the root causes, us, <laughs> that, you know, why these endangered species have, you know, have these issues now, um, what are some of the game plans that you guys have to, or do you have a game plan to help bring the species numbers up or um, kind of reverse this issue? 
Mm, so as part of the Endangered Species Act, it's written into that um, legislation. The services, that means the National Marine Fisheries Service and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, have to make recovery plans. Now, have you ever made a plan and then it fell through? All the time. Or you My just life. didn't <laughs> stick with it. Right. <laughs> that is, I'm not saying that that's what always happens, but I am saying that they are plans, right? And we have whole branches of our agencies that are focused on recovery, right? They're doing research on the species and um, trying to figure out the best ways to manage the fisheries. Like, for example, you can still harvest Chinook. Like, you can go into the ocean and you can go into the ocean, whatever. You can go, go <laughs> on a boat and you can catch a, a, an endangered Chinook and keep it mm -hmm. um, as a fisherman. And so the, part of that, it's integrating these recovery plans with actual management strategies. And those don't work. I mean, that in theory, they do. And if everything was implemented, they could. We've had a few success stories. You know, we, we saved a bunch of animals, especially birds from DDT. That's what Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, is about. So that's a high, highly recommend that book. And um, we recovered the brown pelican. That was on the brink of extinction as well. And so we do, we, we experience success, but we make a plan. And then a lot of times we don't follow through. So it ends up that a lot of the changes that we see in the world are driven by private enterprise and private property. And in the United States, we have this idea that we can do whatever we want, kind of. Like, it's my land, it's my property, my rules. Don't tread on me. Well, okay, but the idea of don't tread on me sort of cuts out the rest of the world. It says, I don't care what the implications of my actions are on an orca whale on a fish that used to swim up my stream because I want to have my cows on my property. And you know what? My cows drink from that stream. So there. Um, and so what we're doing is obviously not enough because if we were doing enough, then we would be delisting endangered species. We'd be taking them off the list and saying, "Woo, we did it. But unfortunately, we have to keep making new plans. We make a plan, we make another plan, and then we make a plan on top of that. And one day, maybe we'll change the regulations. Or one day, maybe people will rise up and say, oh, crap, you know, all the salmon are dead. And we live in a world that is less beautiful because of it. Wow. It seems like it's turned into quite the political problem, too. Absolutely. From its inception, yeah. <laughs> the Endangered Species Act is is a political yeah. it's a political problem because it's telling yeah. people they can't they can't do what they want. Mm -hmm. And so it is it's the never ending struggle between government and the human. It's the Republican mm -hmm. versus Democrat. Like what's 
let's save this stuff versus let's let's not save this stuff because mm-hmm. we need to make money right now. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this is like so fascinating. I love I love how you're talking about this, like how we're all connected. You know, we're part of nature. We're connected with nature and about how like what you do is helping protect these endangered species. But as you said, we have this problem in America where people are like, this is my land and I want to do what I want to do and just basically fuck everyone else. But like how how do we like shift that mindset? How do we show people like what's at stake here? Like so the question I have is what happens to just the entire ecosystem when an animal is extinct and that animal doesn't exist anymore? Because certainly it's not like, oh, that animal died when when there's no more. Like certainly there has to be some kind of a domino effect with the ecosystem when that happens, right? Yes, absolutely. What happens is you create a void and I would argue that that void is irreparable in our in our humanity's perspective. Now, evolution, the theory and really the fact of evolution says that if there's a void, if there's a niche, like um, say the polar bear dies, as it very well could with global warming, um, then a new species will evolve to fill that void. And that occurs over thousands, millions of years. And we are killing things so fast that they are not going to have a chance to evolve a new dodo bird, for example. We don't have, we don't have that timeline anymore because we're in this mass extinction event. I think that we lose that species in our heart and we also lose it in the, the, the web of life, the web of existence. And a lot of times what happens is that that void is filled by an invasive species. And in fact, an invasive species, one that's not native to the area that, that we're talking about, um, helps to push out the native species in the first place. So we have situations where um, multiple problems, multiple factors are contributing, all created by humans generally, Um, multiple factors are contributing to the the, um, decline of certain species like the polar bear. Wow, that's like, like an almost, I mean, I almost feel emotional hearing this. Like, it's just... I, I'm sorry, I'm your Debbie Downer. <laughs> no, no, Nissa, so... your your presence is so delightful. It, it more than compensates for this. <laughs> but this is like stuff people need to hear. This is like so important. Like everything you're saying, I'm like, yes, yes. Like people need to know this because I'm like learning so much right now. And, you know, I, I just know that like, our listeners, you know, a lot of our listeners are people that are like very kind and compassionate people that care about one another. And I mean, this is huge. Like we're, we're so integrated with our planet and we're killing our planet. We're killing our home. We're killing the home of all of these species. We're killing these species. Right. There is no planet B folks. Like we're not going to go to Mars and make it habitable within the next 300 years it's just you know it's not going to happen and 
within those 300 years, we can expect some pretty radical changes. We've already seen pretty radical changes. And I would argue that right now we're not leaving the world a better place for future generations. Mm, yeah. Do you have any uh, tips or tricks <laughs> or just <laughs> or in, <laughs> advice for people that um, so that we can reduce like our um, impact on global warming and uh, the extinction of, of species? Oh, man, absolutely. I have some wonderful things that you can do. And the first thing is get aware be aware and there are some great sources out there um i'm trying to think of some of the websites but if you subscribe to reports from the center for biological diversity or if you look up this kind of information um you can learn more and there are, there are certain sources that you might like more than others. And so I guess I won't like recommend a bunch of those, but, but be aware. And that's step number one. And then step number one, a is don't be too aware because it gets really depressing really fast. And so if you don't, if you don't have a big portion of your life that you can dedicate to this, then pick something that you can do and i would recommend say picking a species or two or a type of thing that you're interested in like ocean plastic or um local ordinances on stream buffers or um parrot conservation parrots are some parrots are endangered what i'm saying is pick something that you love and support it in some way and a lot of times the way to do that is by supporting a non-for-profit. And so this is non-endangered species related, but I support this organization called Gray2K. And they advocate for greyhounds and for ending greyhound racing worldwide and betting on greyhounds. And I love that. It gives me the feels. And I like... I do my monthly don donation of something like $10 or whatever it is. It's not too much, but it, it gives me that sense of I'm doing something here and I'm not overwhelming myself with the sadness because getting out there and making a difference, you need to stay positive. And I, I'd say that to your listeners. So guys, yeah, people listening, stay positive, pick something that you love and spend a couple hours a month dedicated to that thing and you will make a difference in that thing will you make a difference to the whole world in your lifetime for it i don't know like it's hard to say right but at least you pick something and you can bring your carement i like that word bringing <laughs> your carement into it I think that's important because I think, as you said, we get so overwhelmed by the problems in the world. And I experience this myself sometimes. I'll become so overwhelmed by something that I will like freeze and I'll shut down and then I won't actually move into action in some way. And as you said, like 
those tiny little things like spending a couple hours a month doing something, donating $10 to an organization. It's like if everybody did that, we would change the world, right? <laughs> it's We all have the power collectively to make change if we all just like did that one little thing and didn't just like get overwhelmed by it and shut down. Yeah, I, I do have another one that I thought of as well. And that is, if you see something that's that you think is wrong in the environment, pursue that. Take a picture. Send it to, I mean, in our state, it's the Department of Environmental Quality, the DEQ. But send it to someone and say, hey, this is messed up. Like, what is this pipe doing, dumping things into the water? And getting curious about that kind of stuff and not being shy to be an engaged citizen because the thing that you saw might be illegal. We see it all the time. And no one is doing anything about it because no one has reported them. Wow. Do you feel like um, our diets have, or, you know, the way that we eat has a lot to do with the endangerment of animals? Well, certainly. And a lot of it is the move towards industrialization. And so maybe our diets, yeah, our diets have certainly changed since medieval times. Let's go back with that. <laughs> but but really, industrialization has changed the way that we consume those items. And so now I go to the store and I buy some ears of corn and those were grown in a monoculture. And the cornfield was probably, you know, tilled and had fertilizers on it. And it's all corn, right? And another company develops herbicides and pesticides to keep subs like pests and herbs out of that corn. And the same goes for livestock. Now they're on larger and larger farms because we've learned that through capitalism, we can produce more of something and sell it at a lower cost and make more money. And before people had a farm, right? And they trade with people around them. It was a lot smaller. The world was a smaller place. And that had much less of an impact than the way that we do things now. That's something that like I noticed here, like living here in Las Vegas and, and this, I'm curious if you and Drew experienced this in Oregon, but here, like every, all the neighborhoods, it's, it's sort of like a suburb, you know, when you get away from the hustle and bustle of the middle of Las Vegas and you have all these neighborhoods like the, with the cookie cutter houses and the fertilized front lawns and you're in these gated communities with the HOAs with these really, really strict regulations on how your yard is supposed to look. And you're supposed to have like, be, you know, you're supposed to like dump all these mm -hmm. chemicals in the land on the ground and you're supposed to like rip out all the plants and put in other plants. And it just feels like so like this, like we could be growing vegetables in our front yard, right? Like, what would that look like if we were living more in harmony with the planet? What would our suburbs look like as an example? Ooh, yes. Now you're getting into um, urban development and planning. And uh, that's something that's very exciting to me, um, just because we're so bad at it right now. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and, well, it might not mean that everyone has to convert their yard to a garden, it, it certainly means that we should set up our neighborhoods in such a way that people can walk to get what they need. 
when you live out way out in the suburbs and and it's all these windy weird roads going through your HOA um you have to get in a car and drive 20 minutes to go to the grocery store and that's tough like that's a that's a strange existence and we've developed a way of living that relies on um just a weird system right like i can't get food from my house unless i have a car which then you're burning you know fossil fuels to get there on top of it or you have instacart where they deliver it for you (laughs) agnes do you get instacart is that what you're saying I've used Instacart, but that's because I messed my leg up and I couldn't walk. So <laughs> I was bedridden. <laughs> I know. <sighs> okay. Well, yeah. So I guess to get back to the neighborhoods, our world could look different, right? And it's going to involve downsizing. That's the problem. If we change the way that we live, and try to make it more environmentally sustainable, sustainable for future generations. We have to downsize. And Margaret, you know all about this. Oh, um, yes. But, but that is really, really against a lot of people's ideas of how their life should be. People think, I'm going to start my life as a young adult renting an apartment and it's going to be small. And then I'm going to get a bigger apartment. And then I'm going to get a little house. And then I'm going to get a bigger house. And then if I get really rich, I'm going to get two houses and they're both going to be really big. <laughs> and that is, um, it's just not really sustainable. And uh, I think Tokyo has gone in a really good direction because they have, it's the most densely populated city on earth. And they have very small living spaces and they're stacked on top of each other. That is the most efficient way to keep people. We stack them on top of each other and then we have open space where they can go to a park. I say they like people are they, but yeah, where people can go to a park and have a nice time. But then when you come back home, you're in basically a small apartment stacked in a giant complex. Yeah, that makes sense. I've se- I feel like I've seen pictures of that, like in Tokyo, where they have them stacked like that. Do they also have a like a lot of parks and greenery around? Yes. Okay. Yes, I- and there you can get to them easily. You can get on a bus. You can go outside. You can walk to them. And I'll tell you what, those parks are packed mm-hmm. because they want to go there because they've created a beautiful space. And um, I I wish that we would go towards that a little bit more here. Yeah. What do you see being the biggest, the biggest thing that's in the way of us getting to these more like self-sustainable living and having these urban development that's, that's more living in harmony? Like, what do you see as the biggest barrier to that right now? Is it, is it that like that we have this idea of success where we have to just like attain more and more material possessions? Or do you think that it's like a political issue or maybe both or something else? Yes, it's political and personal, personal choice, right? It's like we we have this dream, but um, if we were living like that, that's like communism. And we don't want to live like that because we're not communists, right? We don't, we're not going to go into like some sort of uh, 
a commune, literally a commune together and have this this shared space because that goes against what our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation fought against Mm -hmm. for so many years in the Cold War. And um, you guys were talking about Marxism the other day. And so it it loops right into that, like um, uh, what a a human contributes to the world. Does, Does it mean that you have to be productive? Does it mean that you have to go out and do that corporate job and then have that corporate life with a corporate lifestyle house? Um, or does it mean that you are intrinsically valuable and you're part of a community of people that all have different things to contribute, but not all of them are monetary? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I think, Agnes, you and I were talking about this too. It's like how many jobs are out there that we work, we, we like warm up these seats and these corporate offices, how many of those jobs actually really are benefiting the greater good? How many are destroying the earth you know but we have to work those jobs to be able to make this piece of paper called money that we've all collectively agreed means something to just meet our basic needs and the crazy Mm. part is is sometimes i've been actually reflecting on that a lot about you know which like different jobs that a lot of people have and how invaluable they are but i find myself complaining about the simplest things like for example um, ordering an Uber and there's no Ubers available and it's the most frustrating thing. And it's like, Oh my God, like, why isn't there someone near me? And then you have to like, think about it. It's like, okay, but like how necessary is this job? Like, so it's, it's just like a never ending, uh, humans not being self-sufficient basically when it comes to, um, not having to rely on capitalism. Yeah, so, some of those those jobs you're mentioning, Margaret, it's the the one that really gets my gears grinding is the health insurance industry. Uh, People that uh, that sell and not even just health, but insurance in general, the insurance industry, because it's all based on betting. It's betting that it's betting that you will or will not experience an accident. And um Oh, just uh, I could go on, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a whole other like podcast episode. We'll have to have you come back and we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So you are in the sciences. I want to talk about this. You are, are a woman in the science field, which is a male dominated field. What's that like? Indeed. Oh, man. Uh, that strikes a chord because I mean, it's something that I've been dealing with for my whole adult life. Uh, I've been a biologist and or acting in some capacity as a biologist for over 10 years. And I have experienced a lot of what maybe people would call subtle harassment in the biological field. And what I mean by that is I haven't had people like, grabbing my ass and telling me that I should go back and have a kid and not be in this field. But there are a lot of things that have happened to me along the way that now being older, I realize they were pushing me away and trying basically subconsciously, consciously trying to get me out of this profession. And I can give you some examples of that. Um, 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have, I've been working outside a lot as a biologist. I've, I've been doing a lot of, I have done a lot of field biology and the way that field biology is conducted in this male dominated environment is with the idea of like a, a man who's very strict, strong, going to get the job done. Everything is going to go good and we're going to do it all right to, right now, right today in, in mind, basically. Equipment is male dominated. So like something as simple as wearing a safety vest gets to be, I'm a medium sized woman, not even that small, right? I'm a medium sized human, but wearing a safety vest I can't get them to order a safety vest in my size. Um, and it, like boots and outdoor clothing is difficult to find that is durable in women's, women's cut. And going outside and having every piece of equipment that I'm handling made for a man and trying to handle that equipment alongside men who are stronger than I am and didn't think about me when they were planning their job. So like they were putting all these chains in buckets, literally I've been on projects where we had chains in buckets and they are putting these chains in the buckets so that they could measure out what's called a transect. And then you have to bring these chains in the buckets out to the site. Well, the buckets are like 40 pounds and like everything is like that, right? It's all this, this world that um, was created for a man to do it. The protocols are written by a man and he continues to do them. But um, sometimes you have to stop and say, hey, I can't, I can't do this right now because it's not built for my body. Your backpack is a men's large and this tank on my back is a men's large. And I can't walk this fast because I'm wearing weird boots that weren't made to fit my feet. And um, that's like just the field biology aspect of it, right? Um, in the office, I've had my ideas kind of stolen. Like I'll think of something and then I'll voice it to my coworkers, but no one will do anything about it. And then a few weeks later, a male coworker will say the exact same thing and that will get acknowledged and that will be a good idea then all of a sudden, even though I've been sort of preaching this all along. Now I'm in an awesome situation with my job right now. It's ladies run the show. We're like, I don't know, there's only a couple men in our office and it, I feel so awesome to be a part of the team and it's an amazing dynamic change, but I spent so many years of my life thinking that maybe I wasn't good enough or that Maybe I just wasn't voicing my opinion in the right way. Um, and I wasn't, I was doing everything right. The people around me weren't acknowledging my own work and my own talents. So there's my mini rant. <laughs> well, yeah, that has to feel like a slap in the face, especially since you've gone through um, so much education and you really put you know, all of your resources and your passion into what you're passionate about. And then just, you know, I'm sure that's crushing, like looking back at 
little Nessa snorkeling under the water and you know she followed her dreams and now here she is and there's just men that think that they can walk all over you so Mm -hmm. with this in mind what do you have to say for um, women who want to go into biology or women who are in biology um for women that want to go into biology or any scientific field that's dominated by men I will say you have to be strong and don't be afraid to stop and say when something is wrong and also get help, get help from people that are not necessarily women, but a lot of times women that are around you and, and, um, blow the whistle too. Like when things are not right, when you don't feel like when, when you're scared to do something because it's just like too physically taxing or you don't feel like your voice is being heard, you're not wrong. You're not making it up. Don't let people gaslight you. And at the end of the day, ring that bell, blow the whistle and say, this is not cool. I am smart and someone's not listening to me or the job at large isn't listening to me. Um, Also, there might be a time to get out, right? When there are, when there's toxic masculinity in a job, when everyone around you isn't listening because they think that this is the way it's been done and this is how it needs to get done and your opinion doesn't matter. Some people aren't going to change and that's not okay. It's absolutely not okay. But get out of that situation if you need to and pursue another one because a lot of women go into the sciences thinking they want to pursue their career in this thing that they have a passion for and then they end up being disheartened and and jump out of it and drop out. And that to me is so sad because they're smart and they, they're value added. They're, they're the people we need to help save the planet, to help save the orcas, to help restore communities to the way that they should look. And um, if they're feeling discouraged and like this job just wasn't meant for them, or, you know, I, I felt like that too. Like, oh, maybe I'm just not cut out to be a field biologist. No, I am. I'm a badass bitch. I can go out there and climb a fucking mountain, you know? I can go out there and do all the stuff. It might take me 10 more minutes to climb the mountain. Okay. Maybe I can't put as much stuff in my backpack. Okay. Um, but that's that's what I want to say about it. It's just, it's it's not you that's the problem. <laughs> You know, what I'm hearing, like when you first started talking about like being in the field and you have these men that go out in the field and it's like, it's going to go this way. We're going to do it this way. It made me think so much about how we in our culture like think that we're going to go out and conquer nature. Like I'm going to go out and I'm going to like assert my male dominance on nature. I'm going to show nature who's boss. And (laughs) where the hell has that gotten us? I mean, really? (laughs) Nowhere. And then you have, and then to have women that are like, hey, let's think outside the box here. Like, 
clearly the way we've been doing things has gotten us into a fucking shit show. And, and then to like go into a place feeling like I'm passionate about these issues and I have some ideas and I, and I have the education to back it up. And then to just like completely have that disregarded and to be dismissed and then made to feel that you're inadequate because you're not fitting into the little uh, box that this male dominated science says that individuals have to fit into to be a scientist so mm-hmm. i don't know that wasn't even a question that was just me ranting back because i'm all fired <laughs> up now <laughs> no that's a good rant i don't know how many times i've been sort of relegated as a data collector like Ugh. well all the dudes will do this job like out there measuring things and counting things and doing the science well they want me to have a clipboard and write down the information that they are discovering. And the male who discovers things can totally just step off. It just, it it annoys me too. It just, it really (laughs) bothers me that this idea of the, um, the discovery mentality, the we're on the cutting edge and um, then the things that we're doing are um, in terms of women are discounted. I also feel like, Margaret, you made a point about um, how men have to like insert their dominance onto nature and feel like we see this all the time. You know, even, you know, when Donald Trump was president and he was saying, well, global warming uh, isn't real because I was freezing my ass off in New York last week or whatever. And you just have all of these these people that men that feel or they try to act like they're stronger than nature. And um, we can even look at this like predicting the weather like it can go as small as that. And I think the um, what when we bring feminine energy into biology and this whole world of um, this issue I feel like most women are kind of now and just people in the younger generations are now kind of understanding like maybe we aren't as dominant as we think we are like maybe we really are just as insignificant as like a fly on the wall and nature is in control and there's no fighting this I mean we're all like terrified of tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis and all these horrible things and yeah that's horrible people die but at at the same time it's like can we blame the earth like if i were the earth i'd be fucking pissed (laughs) and you know (laughs) i i think in order for humans to kind of like uh live peacefully side by side with nature um we have to kind of like like spiritually have to like accept that we're we can't dominate it like we have to cut back on these indulgences and cut back on our lifestyle um, and strip this sense of dominance on nature in order for things to finally fucking work and for this planet to survive. Amen to that. <laughs> I, we really can't stop chemistry and physics from occurring. No, we have changed the world. We have changed the face of the world. We have destroyed forests. We've destroyed the oceans. But at the end of the day, chemistry and physics come back to bite our ass and the ability to say oh we did this and now we need to make some decisions and take some steps 
to fix it because we know about chemistry. We know about physics. We know the consequences of our actions, but it's a very male thing to uh, ignore the consequences of your actions. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. Well, Nissa, is there anything else that you want to share while we're on this topic before we switch to some more lighthearted things? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no, you know what? I feel like I've caused enough heartache. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, before we get to the fun questions, I, do, I would love for you to share with our listeners some of the cool stuff that you and Drew do because you both are posting like the most beautiful pictures on social media all the time. You're always like you guys really like live what you preach. I mean, you both are in the sciences. You're both doing, uh, you know, helping the world in ways that you're passionate about. But then on the weekends, you guys are out there in nature, dropping through the Oregon woods, in the mountains, and you're collecting mushrooms. So tell us about all the hobbies that give you both joy. Ooh, wow. Um, Yeah, we like to get outside. And we always, we have a saying, and that is, we like people that are into things. And I we're people that are into things so we hike and by hiking I mean we really just look at stuff while we walk through the woods hiking is a is a horrible term because it implies that you have to you have a starting and an end point and that you go some certain distance so we don't really go hiking we go outside and we take our dogs and we love our dogs they're rescue dogs from Puerto Rico they're so cute and we collect mushrooms, we collect agates, we collect seashells, anything we find outside, and especially if we can eat it. Like, that's a, that's a big passion of ours. We like to go out and do foraging and take things home because there's nothing better than finding free food out in nature and bringing it home and eating it. That's a, that's a really good feeling. But we do take our hobbies and try to pursue advocacy with them as well. We're always on the lookout for people that are in violation of the Clean Water Act. That's one of our favorite things to do and take pictures of them and report them to the appropriate authorities. We're also looking at land use in general and thinking about when properties go up for sale, has the Nature Conservancy heard about that property? Maybe they'd want to buy it. Um, Drew does restoration as part of his job. And so we're looking at potential restoration sites and potential places that we need to fight for, right? Because just because something is a state park or national forest doesn't mean that it's safe. And so for us, a lot of times we go outside, we're having a wonderful time taking pictures, looking at bugs, all that fun stuff. But we're also kind of keeping our eye open for the big trees, the places that are special, the places that really make your heart feel good because you know that there's a little bit of real nature left in the world. And we put them on our list and we make sure that nothing's happening to those places. And if we find out things are happening, we try to stop it. We try to report it. Or we try to evaluate those plans. Remember, I was talking about plans earlier. Evaluate those plans to find out whether or not they included those special places in those plans. And if they're fudging their plan. Because we found a lot of 
tourists in Oregon where we live where the plan wasn't to log it. And then all of a sudden the plan was to log it. So that's kind of what we like to do. We like to go outside and uh, look at stuff. That's really, that's our, that's our thing. <laughs> what I'm hearing is like accountability. You go out and enjoy nature and you also, you love nature. So you're protecting it and you're holding the people who are, so, who are supposed to be also, hold on, the people who are also <laughs> supposed to be protecting the nature, you're holding them accountable. Absolutely, because we don't trust them to do it. Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole bureau of our government. You should look it up. It's called the Bureau of Reclamation. They own a lot of land out by Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And the bureau is called Reclamation because they are reclaiming the land. Now, who are they reclaiming it from? Nature. They're reclaiming it from nature so that they can graze cattle on it, use it for irrigation, that kind of stuff. And um, it's one of my least favorite bureaus. So um, all these things, um, they end up being tied to the activities that you do. The more you go outside, the more you learn. And the more you learn, the more you learn that you don't know. And so we end up doing quite a bit of research, like after we go out, sort of added on to the fact like, hey, where was that? Hey, who owns that? Because that's messed up. Oh, who owns it? They're in trouble now, or we hope to get them in trouble, or we need to send a letter to our Congress people. We've sent a lot of letters. I do love how I, I'll see like uh, on Facebook. I love it when there'll be like a logging company or some like so-called like progressive, I put, I put in quotes, progressive organization that's supposed to be doing something to protect the environment. And I love how like Drew will go on there and just like drop mic like just list off all the shit they're doing wrong mic drop i like that stuff pops up on my feed and i'm like yeah get them yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. because we can't kid ourselves we shouldn't be hiding behind those sorts of lies where we pretend we're protecting our environment mm -hmm. and our endangered species but then on the other side we're destroying it that's sad yeah that almost makes me more angry. Like, and it's not just about environmental stuff, but just in general, when there are organizations or groups that claim to be progressive, but really they're just like putting out the facade that they're, that they're progressive and they're not actually like putting their money and their actions where their mouth is. That almost makes me more angry. Right. The lie, kind of the lie of the green company. Right. It's just this bandwagon people are hopping on because um, they want to appear like they care for the environment. One of the red, red flags that I see with companies, and it, probably your listeners will relate to this a lot, is companies claim that they plant trees in for every, say, for every thing they sell, Right. Oh, we plant a tree for each whatever uh, thing that the, the chair that we sell to you. That we plant five trees to offset the carbon. Well, that's not always so great. It's um, it's it's sort of like this environmental green company ploy where those trees might not make it to adulthood, then those trees might not be in a place that they should be. And those trees might be part of a monoculture that later gets harvested for timber. Wow. That's, yeah, that's interesting to know. Cause I'll see stuff like that. There's so much green, like all these companies getting on the green bandwagon and it's like, but what's, is this really doing any good or is this just causing more harm? 
Mm-hmm. I, I, what I like to see is companies that support local, and by local, I mean either local to them or, or at the very least in the United States, um, environmental efforts to make a change in the way that the world is structured. So um, not planting trees in a, some part of the world that is being deforested. I, I recognize that that's an absolutely important thing to do, but um, I am skeptical on those companies. And the more I research them, the more I think that it is not really helping the global situation um, of the environment at all. Yeah, thank you for sharing that insight as well. Yeah, I'm, I also, I'm sorry. I keep, <laughs> keep doing this to you guys. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Pulling you down. <laughs> no, this is important stuff. This is why we wanted you to come on here because I know like you and Drew such have such fascinating jobs and you like the times that we've briefly talked about this stuff. I'm just so amazed at how much knowledge you have and just how much passion you have for taking care of animals and the planet. So we appreciate this. Rest assured, I don't sleep at night. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right. Are we ready for some fun questions? Okay. All right. Nissa, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, I think I kind of already answered this in like inadvertently. I would want to breathe underwater. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's a good one. Of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have to ask, what is your astrology, like your sun sign? Do you know? Oh, yeah. Um, I am a Leo. Oh, you, really? You and Drew are both Leos. We're both Leos. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. How does that work in the house? Like, how do you both, like, who gets the most attention? Because isn't that like a oh, Leo? We, <laughs> we fight. We fight for the attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. See, I thought for sure it was going to be like a water sign, but no, you are a fire sign, that, right? Leo's a fire sign mm-hmm. that loves to go underwater. Wow, steamy. Steamy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. What is your favorite comfort food? Do you know what sinful potatoes are? No, but I'm about to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sinful potatoes are also called funeral potatoes. I don't like that name because it's, um, anyway, apparently they're a dish that is served at some funerals, but I call them sinful potatoes as they should rightfully be called because they are, essentially shredded up like um like hash browns and however that is grated there we go grated potatoes with a bunch of cream and butter and cheese and then on the top you sprinkle butter and cornflakes and it's ultimate comfort food it's a midwest sort of casserole dish and it's in the line of green bean casserole, but it's much better because there are no vegetables in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. And Agnes is the vegan over here. So I just saw her eyes like getting bigger and bigger as you continued listing all the dairy products. <laughs> hey, potatoes are vegan, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, Nissa, what brings you the most joy in your life right now? I work from home and that's not what brings me joy. What brings me joy is looking out the window because we currently live on a property that's adjacent to a large slough and it is a 
it's a tidal wetland and we have high and low tides going up and down in our backyard and then I can look out and across the slough it's something like 50 acres and see so much fun stuff so as I'm working and I want a distraction I just kind of peek out the window which is more or less right in front of me and look at the ducks and look at the occasionally we get otters coming up and geese and we have a little family of raccoons that's occasionally around it, it's, it's an amazing place to live for that reason and i can't get enough of it i really need to get some binoculars and start peeping on the ducks because i don't really know how to identify ducks i should learn i love that i love how like just those like little things are like giving you so much joy right now uh-huh, uh-huh. and then i take the dogs out and they they look at the slough as well which is great yeah. Our little one likes to chase the geese, but he's learning to listen to me, so he's not chasing the geese as much as he used to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question. What are three songs that elicit the strongest emotions for you? Oh, yes. Um, I'm glad you asked me this ahead of time so I could prepare because <laughs> it, it took a long time. So the first one, I'm going to go and say it relates right back to being a Leo. Because as a Leo, I'm a heliophile. I love the sun. And it is the song, You Are My Sunshine. Uh, you know, you are my sunshine, you are my sunshine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I sing it to my dogs all the time in like a weird voice, like me, 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 or whatever sort of, whatever mood is striking me. And um, it just makes me feel so good. It's it's a beautiful song because it's it's uplifting, right? It's happy. It is telling someone you love them. You are my sunshine. Like you. It, anyway, I love that song. It, it's just it's pure joy, and I I sing it to my dogs every single day. <laughs> um, the second one I've, I've even made a list is one that I don't think you guys have ever heard of. It's called hello and it's by omfg oh my fucking god it's an edm song and it's like the weirdest it's beepy noises and it's kind of like got an, a cartoony beat to it and um if you look it up later you'll you'll hear it it's sort of like my personal theme song in the sense that it's silly and bouncy and at any moment it could make a weird noise um then the third one is a is a all-time classic it's Lebensstrom by Franz Liszt number three Margaret you probably know it I, uh, it's like it not is, it's not popping in my head right now but I'll probably listen to it and go oh yes yeah oh yes <laughs> mm-hmm. and it is a piano it's a song for the piano that Franz Liszt wrote and Lebensstrom means love dream or dream of love and I guess I got a, a love theme going with my songs, but it doesn't have lyrics, although Franz might have written some lyrics with it. But it is slow and it's a piano song. It's kind, it's kind of like a lullaby and it just makes me feel so good. It's beautiful. And Franz Liszt is sort of, is, he's a basically kind of a romantic composer. He was alive during the romantic period He's Hungarian, and so he's part of this romantic scene in Europe. And the song really epitomizes that and makes me feel really wonderful. 
<laughs> I love that. Well, mm-hmm. well, Nissa, thank you so much for joining us today. This was just delightful. A little sad at times, but just overall such a joy. Yes, I'm sorry about that again, <laughs> oh, but no. um, thank you so much. It, it's been great ranting at you, talking to you, and I feel very special that you guys invited me on. Aww. But before we close out, we have to do our gratitude prompt. So oh, I almost forgot. <laughs> yeah, we all have. Thank now God. we all get to share. We all get to share special things. Okay, Agnes, kick us off. Okay, Nissa, what are you grateful for today? Mm. Oh. Today, I am grateful that I have washing machines in my house because Ooh, that's a good one. I've lived for a very long time without washing machines in my house, and we just got some a couple months ago, and it is so awesome. I feel very privileged that I can use them at any moment that I want, and I don't even have to put coins in them. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) And what about you, Margaret? What are you grateful for? Well, I do not have a washing machine, so. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. What am I grateful for today? I am grateful of course it's like the ongoing joke between me and Agnes the sun goes down and I'm so sad my seasonal depression but I am very grateful because this week we have finally been blessed with 75 degrees in sunshine I am here for it my life is finally coming together guys I'm so happy the sun is out (laughs) I'm just I'm so happy so I'm grateful for the sunshine go get a tan on yep (laughs) Agnes what are you grateful for today well, I have to say that tomorrow we're getting 82 degrees. <gasps> so, no. Yeah, I take back my really gratitude nice. now. Now I'm ungrateful because <laughs> it's not 82. <laughs> no, 82. I'm going to be sweating my balls off. It's not going to be fun. <laughs> Your gratefulness um, just turned to a deadly sin of yeah. jealousy, Marga. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Toxic gratitude is just manifested now into jealousy. Oh, Look at that. So, Agnes, what are you going to do tomorrow? Are you going to do anything to try to enjoy this weather? Um, okay, so I'm super flaky with plans, but the plan is <laughs> um, the plan is is that every month um, Phoenix has a vegan public market. So it's just a bunch of vendors and they in downtown Phoenix and they have like like a bunch of vegan vendors and you go get yummy vegan junk food and I don't have to feel guilty about it. <laughs> so um, yeah, Patrick and I I went last time with our cousin Jessica who was on our podcast and back in the beginning. Um, we went last time, but this time Patrick and I are going to go. And then afterward, we're either going to go to the Japanese gardens or we're going to go to the art museum in Phoenix. Those are the plans. I might flake out on them because I might want to be in bed instead. (laughs) (laughs) But otherwise, I'm super grateful. I'm sorry. What was that? Oh, I just said at least you have something planned. Oh. Oh, I know. Right. (laughs) Um, but other than that, I'm grateful that it's the weekend because it's Friday and let's go party. I'm just kidding. It's also Valentine's Day weekend. Oh yeah. Spicy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, again, okay. This time for real. Thank you, Nissa, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yay. We believe in the power of taking even one minute a day to breathe and find gratitude in the little things. Wherever you are, if you are able, close your eyes, take a deep breath in and out, 
and reflect on something that you are grateful for today. We are so honored that you could join us in this discussion today, and we hope you have a beautiful week. If you enjoyed today's Unrefined Woman podcast episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. To check out other episodes, please visit our website at unrefinedwoman.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To stay in the loop and receive access to additional content, please follow us on TikTok, username unrefinedwoman, and on Instagram at unrefinedwomanpodcasts. Special thanks to Walter Birdsong for the album cover, Margaret Rainey for our podcast music, Andrew Cioni for our gratitude prompt music, and Sean Butcher for editing and production. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.